0: Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife Lydia and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain Give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So, we're going to give you $50. So, if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an All Access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast.
1: Hello everyone, we are back with another episode of Finding the Frame today. I have some amazing sound peeps here. We have Stephen Thibault and Carol Urban. They are both in the sound department world, here to talk about everything from production t- sound to post-production sound, re-recording mixing. How's it going?
2: Doing pretty good. Yeah? yeah.
1: Playing, life's good. It's yeah. another beautiful day, it's October, <laughs> it's Living spooky season. So we got a lot of great movies coming out. Have you guys been to have the chance to watch anything fun in the theaters?
2: Yeah, it's. I, I love the creepies. This is yeah. my month. Yeah, I'm. I'm a horror, I'm. I'm a creepy chick.
1: Yeah. yeah. What about you, Stephen? <laughs> horror
3: films are awesome, but I just. I've been so busy. I haven't had the chance to go
1: see something at the theaters. Yeah, I just mm. saw Smile yesterday, which was really good. That's Barbarian. On the list. Yeah, Barbarian. Yeah, Barbarian came out. That mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. I saw Pearl. Oh, Pearl. I haven't yeah. seen X yet, which I know that's like the companion mm-hmm. piece yes. by Ty West. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see that. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. Our audience is always eager to learn about the different disciplines, sound being one of them. And obviously, both of you have an amazing career in it. I would love to know a little bit about your background. Carol, would you mind starting off?
2: Oh um, well, uh, I'm I'm a re-recording mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much been uh, pretty laser focused towards that discipline. Um, I uh, yeah I I basically studied that focused to do that. That was my exact Uh goal. Um, And it's exactly what I do every single day. And essentially, uh, for those who are not familiar with that role, um, it is a marriage of science and art. And it is, um, in many ways, it's a type of montage Uh artist, I would almost say. Um, In the sense that um, I have lovely sound designers that create material for me and uh, dialogue editors and uh, sound effects editors, uh, ADR mixers, Foley mixers, Foley artists, uh, composers, uh, production mixers. They all bring me a mound of material and I speak with uh, directors and producers and other filmmakers and uh, get a vision for Mm -hmm. what they're looking for and look within the material provided and try to create a way to respect the art and craft of everyone's individual contributions while mm-hmm. elevating it uh, by making a whole.
1: That's amazing. So,
2: yeah, I, I do that.
1: Yeah,
3: that is, that <laughs> yeah. is. Also dissecting, I, I yeah. mean, pull, pulling the pulling sure. emotion out of a piece.
2: And injecting new emotion in, and mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Deciding what light and, and what focus, and yeah, it's it's actually so very significant. Um, one of my taglines uh, that I use all the time is uh, I, I play mind games with sound um, <laughs> because it is, it's, it's this, so it's this psychological <laughs> trick and it's so completely effective to the experience of a viewer. Uh, it really can change mm-hmm. the complete context. I, I, I was talking to my father the other day who was a chemical engineer for aircraft carrier reactors. You know, he's a smart dude mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, oh, that guy, I just couldn't stand that guy. And I'm like, well, we told you not to like that guy. You know
1: that's really you funny. know we yeah, told right. you
2: to like her and to feel mm-hmm. bad for him and to that we told you that
1: yeah you guys are manipulating <laughs> the audience in a lot of ways which is really great and i did yeah. some research on you carol and i know that you started out in the washington dc market i did and that is, is that where you grew up as well
2: no i grew up in portsmouth virginia
1: and mm-hmm.
2: a little southern town if i were to do what i'm doing out here back there um i'd probably be Limited to maybe Wavy TV 10 or the 700 mm-hmm. Club. There wasn't a lot there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so as soon as I could, I knew what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, uh, I have a, a really bad eyes, and uh, I grew up very audio focused. And when I was young, I thought the only thing you could do with a fascination with sound would be music and performance. Uh, but I don't really like performance. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't mind it, but it's not something I hunger for, and there are people who have a hunger for it and I have no business being in it next to somebody who has that hunger. So finding the right position to marry my ability in math and science, which I do have and I have a long family history of engineers and scientists and um, with my love of sound and my uh, love of psychology. Um, it became absolutely crystal clear as soon as I realized that being a dubbing mixer was a thing, that that was exactly... I was like, oh, well, ding, de, ding, 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 you know, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's it, you know, <laughs> you know? Right. that's it. So, yeah, um, so um, I uh, went as far as I could. I was trying to drive to New York, but I was poor. Mm-hmm. And my car broke down in D.C., ended up being there for 12 years. Um, ended up as the uh, senior, they call it a sound designer there, because you, you cut, you record the narration, you do fill in uh, Foley if you need to, uh, you do the mix, you do the print, uh, you do the deliverables, um, and that's all uh, for documentary and mm-hmm. edutainment based media. Right. Um, so I was uh, the uh, uh, sound designer for Discovery Channel.
1: That's really so, awesome. Yeah,
2: which was great, which was really great. Um, but yeah, it got to a point where my husband was working for National Geographic and I was working for Discovery. He's a sound supervisor. <laughs> and we both looked at each other and we were like, yeah, so. Um, You want to have some kids and get a bigger house or like you want to move somewhere or like so we have been here for like 12 years what do you think and I'm like I don't know man I think we need to pick a bigger hill let's go up another hill all right cool and so we started looking around for different places to move and we looked at Miami we looked at Atlanta almost moved to Miami Um, but I got a job in LA for just like three months and you know I quit everything and sold my house and we moved out here we started over
1: that's an amazing story. Yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Los it's Angeles best is great. never made. Yeah. And then we have a local here, Stephen. <laughs> what is your story? I know, which is where I feel like I don't meet a lot of people that are actually locals it's a unicorn, in film. Yeah. yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh, and it's funny how many like Pittsburgh people I meet are just mm-hmm. East Coasters. So it's really special. <laughs> I feel like to have an LA local.
3: Um, where do I start? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was always a love of film, and my mom was responsible for that. Mm-hmm. and I think in part because <clears throat> if there was a, a certain challenge or anything like that, she'd say, hey, let's go to the movies, and would change my mood. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she took me to this film called Star Wars, and it <laughs> blew me away. I was like, wow, I want to make movies.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, she said, yeah, you can do it. You can do anything you put your mind to. So I mm-hmm. – didn't know that it was going to be sound at that point, but like Carol, mm-hmm. um, I'm colorblind, mm-hmm. so not not saying you're colorblind, but
4: <laughs> <laughs> between you know, the but, depth but perception the, but the and your eyesight, color, I tell yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: so, you know, I right after um, high school, I said I got to figure out how to get into this, um, you know, film thing, but I took a class um, at college. Um, basic TV production. And there was a girl in the class named Pat Toma who said she was gonna go sound mix another student short. Would I like to boom for her? So I said, sure. And it kind of hooked me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, as soon as I'm done with college, I'm gonna go into sound. So um, I'd play hooky and, and you know, borrow her nagger or somebody else's and get experience while I was in, 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 in college because mom and dad said, look, you got to have something to fall back on, get your 44-year de- degree. I don't care what it's in.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Ended up being anthropology with an emphasis in archeology. span Oh, wow. Which right. I did for a little bit, mm-hmm. which was great to experience listening in the, in the, you know, deep forest in, in, uh, in the Sierras. Oh, wow. Cause that. I did that for, uh, um, I don't know. Five, six months, mm-hmm. something like this. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. that's really incredible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that. That's an amazing story. Yeah, it yeah. was
3: really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. But then um, right right at the end of that, well, as I was graduating from, um, from college, I, I decided I'm really going to take this seriously and be a, a, a sound mixer. And I put $30,000 worth of sound gear on credit cards, and I said, I'm going to sink or swim here. Oof. Worked out, yeah. It seems
1: swear. like excellent. it. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> and back then, yeah. you're probably buying technology that is. What was it like? Still on tape, or what was the tool? Yeah, it was reel to reel. Yeah, reel to reel. It
3: was Nagra four, four point two initially. Wow. And uh, you know the the microphones I still have to today. We don't use them that often, <laughs> which was a Sennheiser four sixteen, a Sennheiser eight sixteen. Um, these really heavy aluminum boom poles that were horrible. Oh wow! But it did the job. They, they were mm-hmm. not much better than, than a, a painter's pole. But you can do good sound with this stuff. Right. And then a couple of lavaliers and 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 Vega wireless mics right. back then. Needless to say. My equipment package has uh, evolved a lot since then.
2: He's actually pretty incredible, because in addition, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bust you on something. He's, he's got an incredible ADR studio, like a private ADR studio. Oh, wow. And um, he's amazing. I've actually brought a number of indie films to him. We oh, worked on some kind. projects together. <laughs> and um, what's incredible about what he does, um, that is not always something that you get at different ADR facilities, is because he does know the production crews and he has quite the arsenal of equipment. Um, oftentimes you can call him and say I need to match this and he can technologically find a match for the signal chain as much as possible so that you're really dealing with performance truly at that point versus trying to on the dub stage later emulate the technology on top of carving the performance to match so that's yeah, incredible. much ups to mr thibault here yeah thank you, yeah. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so something i would love to know you know i we got a lot of cinematographers that come through these chairs and i always ask them what helped you refine your craft and really get the skills where you are today obviously for them and maybe you still do a lot of the same things they watched a lot of movies for them, they take a lot of photographs, obviously, and they're looking at the imagery end of things. What do, what does like specific sound department filmmakers look for? Where do they turn to study? What is some of the educational resources that they have to really like hone them as an artist? I if think, that makes sense. I think you get
3: mm-hmm. a recorder and you start listening to the world through those headphones or in the case of, of of post, you listen to a lot of mu- movies mm-hmm. and you get Pro Tools and you start playing. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's so much to be said about experiencing it. Doesn't mean you're getting paid necessarily all the time, but just go and do it. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's also a perspective as well. Like, not to hone on my terrible eyesight, um, but um, so I was like legally blind until the age of six. And I had like fly vision of like, it was not crazy. Good. It was not, I didn't good. know that. Yeah. And I, I had this surgery and it was way before lasers, they had to like, cut all into my eyeballs. But, anyways, so, <laughs> but it, they worked it out. But um, one of the things that that did to me was um, it made me experience sound before other senses,
4: mm-hmm. if
2: that makes sense. And so, not to say that you need to have a deficiency in your eyes in order sure. to, but, but it gave me a perspective that I find very useful. Um, and a lot of times I will find myself. Um, hearing a decay or a slap or an interesting walla or uh, it, it, an amazing environment or an interesting animal call or the sound of water under tires at a particular corner or something. And I will find myself in that moment spending time in that moment and enjoying it much like one would go to a museum to enjoy a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And I think the ability to recognize how those things make you feel and to recognize them in life Uh, and then to see them utilized narratively in film Mm -hmm. and television. uh, And also just to consume stories without someone suggesting how it should be told. Like one of my favorite things to do is actually read the book and then watch the movie. Because it's very interesting to me to see how it's carved and changed. Sometimes it's right on and I'm like, oh, they just pulled it out of my head. And then other times I'm like, wow. I didn't like that person in that story. Now I do, or now I feel empathy for this person. That completely changes the perspective of X or Y or Z and mm-hmm. And that really shows you the psychological effects of how you are subconsciously taking in sound around you and how it affects your perspective. That's mm-hmm. really at least for post, that's right. That's majorly important. That's the that's the tool. Yeah.
1: Now that's beautifully said. I really love how you put that uh and i loved the idea of being present when in an environment really taking in the sound i think there's a beauty to that even in any discipline whether it's being a cinematographer or being in the audio department like your like yourself as you start to mature and really define that perspective, being able to take in the world around you and then reinterpret that world, then put it into a movie, TV show, documentary, whatever it might be. I do think that's really important in a world where things are becoming so technologically advanced. I feel like it's harder for generations beneath us to be able to be present, to maybe take in some Mm -hmm. of that stuff. So for whoever's listening, please be present because that is super important. That's true, mindful moments, they they
2: make a massive difference and they fill the creative well.
1: Absolutely.
3: Uh, on, on a more uh, basic te- technical mm-hmm. note, for a lot of your filmmakers, when they're picking out locations, take a pair of headphones, take a microphone, and see how loud it is through the headphones. Mm-hmm. Because your ears genuinely filter all that stuff out. Mm-hmm. But when you have a mic up, it doesn't do that. And you realize how loud that place that you really have to shoot Absolutely. Um, is. Yeah. So,
1: so, it might be a good tidbit. Yeah. yeah. Do a lot of bigger productions do that for, say, like location scouting, tech scouting? Is that something that the sound the department's good ones ever? Do. Ed- <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the ones we like the most the sound people do. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah.
3: I, I, I get asked yeah. sometimes. Sure. Um, sometimes it's not in the, in the budget, but yeah. cer- certainly, like, there were producers that were representing my intre- in, interests mm-hmm. um, on scouts. And, and knew what places would be a problem or w- what wouldn't. Where, right. Just because of experience and and knowing how I've reacted in mm-hmm. some of the locations that they've put me in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: That's a really good tip. That's not even something that I even have ever considered when location scouting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I should probably help set up the audio department for success, right? Get in there early, see what it's like, bring my own mic package, whatever it is, to at least be able to get reference and then hand it over to you guys, say, is this gonna work? Or is the location just not going to work with all of the sound interference? There's really
2: no, like, very few sadder conversations I've had with clear-visioned, beautiful filmmakers. Uh, when they have recorded for vi- for visuals only and then they've decided they want to create that convention of the emotional bubble in, in a tender moment and I've got Doppler horns and buys, and mm-hmm. to reduce all that to what they're asking for is going to degrade the audio in such a way that it's going to be distracting to the emotional moment and then they've got to make a decision and alter their vision. Mm-hmm. I don't want a filmmaker to alter their vision. I want to attain what what they they see in their mind auditorily, their audio vision. Right. And then I wanna be able to offer suggestions to elevate and to encourage them to imagine, to enrich that vision. There's no sadder conversation than saying, brother, I'm sorry, but 10 steps ago you made a decision that made that impossible. I guess we could ADR it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How good are your actors at that? <laughs> you right. know, it, it's, a, it's a sad convo.
1: Right, <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot of preparation. That is like, it's a great question that I have. What does pre-production look like for the audio department team? Like how early are you guys involved in the process? Is that something only right when production starts? What does that look like?
3: Well, well, on the last series that I did reboot, but it was with my producers from Modern Family, um, Jeff Morton gave me a call and said, Hey, Steve, can you come down? We're building the sets, but I want your input. So I went down and I, and I took a look and, 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 um, our wanted to have, um, um, ceilings on a lot of the sets. And I know how, um, Steve Levitan want, will want to shoot this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he generally sets up, um, you know, two, three cameras and you're cross covering and you do minimal setups. So you got to get it right. And with, reading the scripts, I, I saw, okay, there, there's a lot of scenes with eight people in, in, in them, like, especially the writer's room. It's like, this set, I need, I need the ceiling open, just acoustically, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, they had carpet, and, um, and, and I need, um, um, you know, beds for, for my boom operators to be, to do really a, a you know, a, a good job there. And then some of the other sets we went through, and, and I said, This needs to fly away. This, this doesn't. So they, they incorporated that, or Claire Bennett did, our, our production designer, and it really, really made a huge difference. That's
2: fantastic. Yeah.
3: But they do that on Modern Family too. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we're in a crawl space. It's like, okay. <laughs> Claire was on that as well. And she'd come to me and say, Hey, how can we do this and, and, and help you guys as well? So mm-hmm. so there'd be a lot of input and back right. and forth, and I think that's really, really important.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Is that something that's being more adopted now? Has it always been that collaborative? It's collaborative with certain producers, yeah. mm-hmm. whereas a
3: couple of years ago during COVID, I got hired on another series, and mm-hmm. um, I wasn't invited to any of the the pre-production or design phase of, of anything. And then it was all, please playing playing, uh, you know, Catch up and clean up. And and I was taking the producers aside saying, hey, look, um, this particular set with the quietest speaking actress, and you're going to have like half of an episode in here. Well, they put that you never even saw um, a glass ceiling, Mm -hmm. and and it was like a a dome. And then they had concrete floors everything was hard surfaces everywhere so you know if you put a mic up in that environment no matter what even if you're like right on top of it it's just not going to sound good Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: because you get all these bad bad reflections reflections. back so so i took to the producer's side and said look let's have a meeting right here (laughs) (laughs) so um we talked and and he's like oh yeah it sounds horrible Mm -hmm. so so I don't think we're gonna see all of this glass. Can we take it all out? So they did mm-hmm. um, after the first or second day and it made a huge difference. It still wasn't great. So the other suggestion was, hey, can we put some um, uh, rock, soul, rock wool and, and so forth behind these pictures and mm-hmm. find some, some other, you know, maybe construction, make, make some panels mm-hmm. that, w- that we can
1: roll in. Mm-hmm. So that, that helped. Right. And it seems like for filmmakers, you know, who don't have the experience like the both of you, it seems like getting with the producer pretty early on, if possible, is the best way to circumnavigate some of these issues without a doubt. And what would you say for, you know, someone that's in that position? What are like some of the discussions or ways how do i want to put this ways to like give sound a voice i feel like sometimes sound you don't always hear about them or they're going to come on the day of production mm-hmm. is there anything that would be better for the production team or sound team when coming on to make sure that they're getting this heard i don't know if i'm like stated that correctly no, but
2: I I, yeah. I I i see where you're going yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah it's actually been I, I have had a number of productions that have come to me or i've been able to meet the production mixer and um to plug, actually, the CAS, this is one of the really wonderful things about so true. the Cinema Audio Society is there really isn't another organization that pairs production mixers and gives them a network with uh, post-production mixers. And what's been really lovely um, that I have absolutely taken advantage of with our directory is when I get on a show and I see a CAS behind a name or I look up in a directory and I see that someone's a member – I feel extremely comfortable reaching out to them because essentially by being a part of the CAS, they're saying, I I wanna network with other people (laughs) in my profession, Mm -hmm. I I want to have communication, I want to elevate through communication. So I reach out and I have conversations and oftentimes um, it it develops a really wonderful relationship. I did many, many, many seasons of uh, Grey's Anatomy and Bo Baker is the uh, production mixer on that uh, production. And he would oftentimes even send me texts of, okay, we have this and we have this and we're dealing with this and we're dealing with this. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> like, can we make sure we get this? Or, you know, uh, what do we have for that? Or, uh, okay, good to know. We're going to need some extra time for that. Let me give a heads mm-hmm. up to the to you know to the producer that there's some stuff coming that we're going to need to right. dig out. Um, having that communication and having that... Unity as well when you present to a producer um, really helps. Um, I don't envy people who are dealing with managing multiple crafts. I mean, I deal with sound, and you know, it may seem a little by- myopic, but within the field of sound, there to me it's like pie. There's a plethora. It just <laughs> is never-ending exploration and journeys within the, the realm of sound. So to to be someone that is managing. Everything from crafts to the medical the personnel on set to mm-hmm. to the sound department, to the picture department, to the, the people who are handling all of those disciplines, it really helps to have cross-disciplinary communication with production and post to come to a producer and say, listen, th- these are multiple departments that are, have come together to present a solution to you. We, we recommend you invest in this solution. It's just a better all around producers appreciate it we appreciate it it yields a better result
1: yeah yeah that's really amazing yeah Yeah, connecting, communication, you know, production, it's not just one department. Obviously, there's a director, and a lot of the accolade always gets to the director, but there's a whole team behind the scenes Mm -hmm. that's making a film come together. And when one team falls, the rest of the production falls. And it's great to just have that communication be really tight. And the producers, and shout out to the ones that are really special, like the ones that you get to work with on Modern Family and Reboot. It sounds like keeping that communication and camaraderie tight, which is honestly the best part of filmmaking, right, is camaraderie, especially when you're with another Department and you're like, oh wow, camera team's really great this time. It's making my job as production sound mixer super easy. Being able to communicate with the department and if a producer helps facilitate that and get communication going early on, it seems like that's the best case scenario. Well,
3: ultimately, you know, with, with the reboot example, we all got what we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, the DP was able to look at, at stir- certain ceil- ceilings and and and. Um, you know, visually certain areas were -hmm. were closed off and they had that detail. And then it was open for me in the areas it needed to be. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, just
1: it takes a little conversation. That's all. That's really great. Absolutely. So I wanna loop back just a little bit to career again. So the question that I have is, things started to pick up momentum. It seems like you both had really exciting careers. When I was looking through your IMDB and credits, what were some of the things that you both did to keep that momentum going from project to project? Was it just a matter of networking and then it kind of snowballed from there? Or, you know, and this is something that also we can loop into this. Do you both have like agents or representation? How does that really work? Oh gosh,
2: work? I wish post people yeah. had agents at my life
1: that's mm-hmm. so. <laughs> <laughs> part two
3: always gotten my own work and yeah and, and frankly, i mean i
2: have excellent sales salespeople at, at, at facilities that i work at that mm-hmm. are lovely advocates for me and, and and administrative people who are incredible advocates yeah. and facilities that are advocates but yeah it's i it's you know it's, I think my, it's my own tap dance work yeah <laughs> work begets work because
3: mm-hmm. yeah. y- y- you end up being personable you do a good job Mm-hmm. Um, then people want to work with you again, yeah, and you know getting along with the a d the cinematographer the the mm-hmm. production designer what have you i mean if i 'm on a show and they 're looking for somebody, I'm like, oh, yeah, you need another production designer claire's great
2: mm-hmm.
3: get her in there or
2: absolutely, yeah, you
3: know an editor whatever the mm-hmm. what whatever the job description is.
1: Um, you have a bunch of people that you like working with that did great jobs. And what about for like post sound? Is that something that's more like regimented in a sense where you go with like a certain house or do you still Um, be freelancer?
2: It depends. Um, I've definitely been an in-house staff person. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been a a cowgirl where I'm just everywhere. You know, every different show is a different spot. Um, I've had places where they're kind of my number one and then I hit other places during slow periods. Um, I am, I'm technically, I'm, I'm an independent, I'm a freelancer. Um, but, um, I, I spend a lot of time at, you know, a, a, some principal locations at this point and, um, those teams have become a family for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, you know, I have a lot of loyalty to them and they, they support me and they are wonderful partners in facilitating my career continuing. Um, but that being said, um, it's not all on them. They mm-hmm. they have a large roster of people, and, and in the end, they're trying to sell shows, and it's my job to make myself a marketable commodity um, that is of value to them. So um, I do that by working very hard to elevate my skill, um, being relevant in the industry, um, networking all the time, um, I find that networking happens in many ways. It's not just going to maybe a networking event or meeting Mm -hmm. other people in your field or meeting adjacent uh, people in in crafts, et cetera, or working really well in a project. People want to be seen, and what we do as filmmakers is tell stories. So just listen to the stories around you and try to see them. And I find when you see people, you will naturally gravitate towards people that you have... Uh, a similarity or an empathy, or an, I uh, you identify with, mm-hmm. and those become incredible teams, and that will facilitate your motion forward.
1: Absolutely, yeah. no, that's really that's really, um, it's really interesting for sound specifically too, because I feel like there's so much technology involved, and you were talking about that like briefly keeping up with that technology and keeping yourself marketable what does that look like how ch- how fast-paced does tech change in the sound world i know camera like every year there's a new camera on the market camera teams have to learn that i'm assuming it's probably somewhat similar in the sound yeah. world
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it is yeah, it yeah. Is. <laughs> it i, it I can definitely say so because
1: yeah.
3: I, I i i i mean i feel like I'm a student of sound, both production and and post because I'm a re-recording mixer and ADR mixer as Mm -hmm. well.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: So, you know, I'm always trying to keep up. If I've been on a show for six months um, production, then I feel like I'm catching up with with some of the the new developments with Pro Tools or Atmos Mm -hmm. or or what have you.
2: Yeah, and I spend all day and all my time in in post-production and I find, that the most incredible thing about sound, even the sound itself, like I'll mm-hmm. get really obsessed with uh, like transient spikes for a while, and mm-hmm. then I'll find a way to manage transient spikes, what and I'll try a- What is transient a, spike? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, um, the the most egregious are, are actually artifacts that, that um, I often hear when there's a lot of RF interference, um, which is where people's, <laughs> yeah, S's or T's mm-hmm. become very um, harsh,
1: like are pointy or yeah. yeah
2: yeah and and basically the transients are are, are little peaks basically mm-hmm. they're little little peaks in your dialogue and sometimes they can get um very harsh or pointed and they're just unpleasant to hear and they become dominant in the speech um, so, um, you know, I, I became obsessed with those for a little while, and then I, I worked on that, and I, I feel like I got a pretty good handle on that, found some new tools, did some beta testing, you know, ran this, that, and the other, got it, worked on a number of different projects with different noise profiles and different characteristics, and found a, a general like feel like generally 80% of the time, I'm going to be able to handle that now. But as soon as I feel like I've handled that, I'm already on the pathway of, hey, how can I rebuild harmonics out of distorted dialogue? So now I'm in how to rebuild harmonics and distorted dialogue. And I'm obsessing over that, and I'll beta test a bunch of that, and I'll research a bunch of that, and I'll get all stuck in you know, or, what or, harmonics or, do I need to or produced or yeah, or mm-hmm. degrade, how about, so, so, yeah. So the,
3: the ADR doesn't Absolutely stick make out. It,
2: make it match, exactly. Make, like, Maybe yeah. a little
3: comb filtering. There's
2: there's always another there's always another little thing to if you love it you'll you'll get stuck on something else as soon as absolutely. you
1: absolutely yeah. do you both have favorite resources for doing this type of research is there any good publications mm-hmm. books or like forums that you guys would recommend the CAS quarterly he mm-hmm. is
2: actually the head of our publishing yeah.
1: committee <laughs> and basically i try to pick articles
3: that are of interest to me. If mm-hmm. I have a question, then it's like, oh, okay, we
1: should do an article about this.
2: Yeah, send somebody out <laughs> to investigate. <laughs>
3: can
1: anybody outside of CAS sign up for it? Uh, yes, you can actually
2: get to all the archive issues on our website uh, and we uh, announce our, our new issue uh, each quarter and it's really lovely. Yeah. Let's
1: talk a little bit about CAS as a resource. What would, is CAS similar like the ASC for cinematographers or? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very similar. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a social and educational. Um, uh, it's a, a networking resource. It's uh-huh. uh, it's an advocate in the industry for what we do, and uh, the the. It's also we have an award ceremony, so it's a celebration and a recognition for excellence in what we do. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's
3: so. where sound mixers can meet other mixers. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I mean, unless you're in post, you generally are on your own show yeah Mm -hmm. yeah
2: and there's two mixers maybe three if you're super super lucky um and we're all in competition like there's only two or three people you know sometimes one for Mm -hmm. each job um this is a way to to meet meet people in a non-competitive we're all bidding on the same same gig situation and and just hang out and talk about hey man what do you do for those transients? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> does
1: now? I'm assuming it's just for the U.S. It's not an international. No, it's international. international. It
2: okay. There's only one continent that has yet to escape our grasp, Antarctica. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Soon, Antarctica will be on. Would that would be, be funny. Yes. <laughs> That's really so. How? What is? How big is the body of active professionals that make up CAS? Um, a little over a thousand
2: yeah a little over a thousand for our total makeup but we do have different classifications Mm -hmm. of memberships so there are student memberships or scholastic memberships professors are also oftentimes uh, educational memberships Um, associate memberships uh active memberships uh retired and then uh the career achievement and uh honoree memberships that's awesome Um, so it's really wonderful it's uh so it's a great place to go if you're not uh, because it's really the, the requirements are quite strict and most of our active members are, I would say, mid-career to veteran-level experience. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but we are about tutelage and honoring our, our past generations. Mm-hmm. So it goes both directions, where we're honoring <laughs> our past uh, generations and experiences and the legacy of what, what this craft has to offer, but also we're about passing that on as well and trying to bring up the next generation. So it's a wonderful a faci- wonderful organization for um, students as well who are looking to move in. Like you can be mm-hmm. an associate, we will embrace you.
1: Does CIS do any form of like workshops or any live streams or content like that?
2: Yeah. Yes. We, we we do some yeah.
3: really great content. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, but, a YouTube but before channel. that, um, we had podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm P- Peter right Deflin <laughs> <laughs> championed that from from the mm-hmm. get go. Yeah. And um, they're really great, very in depth. Mm-hmm. about um a career achievement award winner mm-hmm. or uh, somebody of status in in
2: i'm editing one right now for uh, mike for minkler. mike minkler yeah mike minkler yeah which is incredible career fourth generation audio craftsman and, wow. and artist yeah
1: that's pretty incredible yeah. but r- really
3: really great mixers sharing their stories about mm-hmm. their career and if you really do want to learn
1: a lot certainly about storytelling. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and how can people get access to the podcast? Is that on the you website? On the website, yeah. website. It's also we, on Apple Podcasts. It mm-hmm. is,
2: yeah. Uh, we also have, um, we do virtual events. Um, and uh, you can see uh, all of our events per year under events on our website as well. Uh, and we have live events as well. We just finished doing a oh, uh, I screening. About that. Yeah, you moderated, <laughs> silly. That's, yeah, so, I forgot. We, uh, yeah, we did um, a, a screening of Ford versus Ferrari at oh, the Dolby nice. Vine location. So it was incredible. Four K, beautiful sound. That oh, was, was amazing. No messing that up. It was. Inc- it was. It was like a sound bath of awesome, like car mm-hmm. chases. It was incredible. Um, but we had uh, an incredible panel. Uh, our this your career achievement. Uh, award recipient uh, Peter J Devlin, uh, CAS, and uh, <laughs> and last year. And, uh, and last year's um, uh, recipient we had Paul Massey, who was the lead re-recording mixer on Ford mm-hmm. vs Ferrari, and David G Marco, also a CAS member, and uh, of course uh, Thibault uh, interviewed them, and it was uh, incredible. And in fact, we have a video up now where you can actually see them cut two examples of the movie as they discuss what they're talking about, and you should totally really check incredible. it out. Yeah, yeah absolutely, it's really cool sounds really great. <laughs> we did fun stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. It seems like CAS always has something going on. I know that uh, Filmmakers Academy stopped by the CSA or CAS awards and that seemed really great. It was great. lovely to yeah. have them.
2: Yeah, it was lovely. Absolutely. To have
1: you guys. Yeah. A question that I have before people can even consider getting a CAS you know, what was it like for both of you in your career when you thought, all right, it might be time to become a union sound mixer or production sound? When did you know the time was right? You know, I feel like that's a big question mm-hmm. for a lot of filmmakers. Is it when you started to get more potential union jobs or what did that look like?
3: Okay, I'll go first. You went, yeah, you first. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing a lot of non-union shows. I had worked on my first union series and then... um my boom operator happened to be union, Don Zenz. And um, yeah, he said, you really need to start doing union stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and and you're taken care of. your There are benefits for your retirement, all, all of this stuff. But I wasn't getting off union work at that point. So that's the catch-22, right? Um, but then I ended up working on... I think it was a, a reality based show that ended up getting, um, organized. So, so the initiation, because that show got organized, it was called vital signs. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't going to be like well over 3000. It was an organizational membership fee and I think it was like 500 bucks. So it was affordable at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think shortly after that, I ended up getting my first union, union feature and that made a difference, mm-hmm. but work, but gets more work. So all of a sudden you're recognized by producers and UPM that are doing union work. Mm -hmm. So then it kind of opened, opened the doors. Right. And
1: what about yourself?
2: Um, I've always been a big go union gal while Mm -hmm. spending most of my career, actually not having done union work. Um, (laughs) um, but, um, basically I, I, never want anybody to not be able to hire me. I try and make myself as hireable and as useful to anybody that, could possibly be interested (laughs) in giving me a project to work on and uh, an audio adventure to uh, explore. Um, So as soon as I came to Los Angeles, um, I went ahead and went to CSATF, which is contract services for the union, which is a little bit like uh, filmmaking DMV. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is. It is. It totally (laughs) is. Um, It's a lot of paperwork. Mm -hmm. They're, They're the management services that handle the roster for the union, it's a big job. It's a big job, but it's all about regulations and paperwork and and qualifications. And at that time, I had left the East Coast, where I was working a non-union job for Discovery Channel. But because I was on staff, I had so many hours. I had no problem with hours. And the way it works is you can get what they call IER rostered, which is industry experience roster, um, and you can sit on that roster without paying a cent for two years. And what that means is you've already gone through the trouble of the paperwork and the vetting for someone to say, yeah, you could be union. You could just pay your dues and you could be union. So at that point in time, when I applied for positions that were union, I would be like, I am IER rostered. If you hire me today, I'll be union tomorrow. I'll go drop off my check and we're all good, man. Paperwork's already done. I'm already vetted, I'm already good. Wow. So I did that. Uh-huh. And um, I found that at about, I don't know, about a year in, I had a, an audition and uh, I I got the gig and I went sweet man I'll hit him on the way out of town it's all good I, you know uh, so I went on the interview got the got the gig for the first show swung by dropped off my check and I was union so and I highly recommend because you can stay on that roster for two years and they just kick you off and then you have to reapply that's it right it's not it's it's time not money to to get that thing out of the way and I highly recommend get it out of the way because being union versus not being union is a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, not being able to, not having to worry about um, the copious amounts of money that I was spending on not very good health insurance versus now being like, oh, such and such is bothering me. I think I'll go see the doctor. And not having to worry about it Mm -hmm. is incredible. Um, Being able to have some investment in your pension and your retirement is really amazing and incredible. Um, And also having some type of floor um to what things cost and how long people can push you to work um is a a good thing is a good thing i still do some non-union work and that's another thing people don't know when you're union it doesn't mean you can't do non-union work um and oftentimes even union reps have said to me as long as they're not abusing you good for you if they're abusing you let us know like if you're respected Mm
1: -hmm.
2: good on you work we want you to work we want our people to work you know.
1: That's really good. So, yeah. in a question with the roster, does that put you in a place where you are on the roster as a specific role in sound department, or how does that work when going into the union? Whatever you qualified yeah. for.
2: Yeah, you pick a classification based on your
1: qualifications. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for someone that's maybe who wants to go in the union, I guess... It, if they're probably classified in some place, depending on what they were doing non-union, but is there say like an entry if someone wants to maybe not be a re-recording artist Mm -hmm. and they kind of want to like become a union, uh, sound department member, but they don't know exactly where they want to land. Is there a place to start in the union or do you kind of have to know? The way
2: it works is your hours have to apply to a particular position and that's the classification that you pick. Now, that being said, if your industry experience rostered and you get hired for a union job in the classification that you are not in, they simply adjust your classification. Gotcha. And it may change the rate of your dues a little bit, mm-hmm. but you're good. <laughs> you're cool. Yeah.
3: Uh, I, I might say also that, that there's some um, um, trainee positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and somebody interested in, in doing production sound would go to Local 695 and, and um, they can apply to be on that list as, as a trainee. Um, 700, I haven't looked into. I don't know.
2: I, 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 I came in 12 years in, so I, I don't know. No, there, I've sponsored people, that's why. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about the training situation. I'm less knowledgeable in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: But it's it's worth looking into if somebody's really interested in doing sound. And I'm right. sure, sure in the camera department, there's camera trainees too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For a local 600.
1: That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said the local just to make sure everyone has it right, it's 695 for, for 695 production. for production yeah. sound, 700, 700 for, for editors and and uh re-recording mixers
3: and, and sound, sound editors. editors. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Is mm-hmm. that a
1: national or is that just That's late? a national.
2: Yeah. It's a national.
1: That's awesome.
3: 695 is local to LA.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Sweet. So
1: next mm-hmm. up, I want to talk know that. A little bit about the differences for you peeps when it comes to like tv series to features to documentaries and what that kind of looks like i know you both did a lot of different documentary work starting out and hopped around quite a bit Mm -hmm. what does it look like and obviously it's very dependent on what your role is probably going to be in sound department but what are some of the considerations when you're saying oh it's going to be a documentary versus maybe a tv series is there something that you start to prep out maybe for production sound we can start there and then post-production sound we can go to you
3: okay well if they say it's going to be a documentary it means i'm my body's going to hurt because i'm going to be booming as well <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i have a heavy <laughs> heavy recorder and 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 wireless around me mm-hmm. um and and you know it's run and gun yeah where where whereas um a feature most features at least um are going to be cart based same thing with most tv shows and um you know depending on if you're doing episodic. Uh, hour-long episodic versus um, a sitcom um, or single camera, your cart could look very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What
1: about for post?
2: Um, I would say there's a different style oftentimes, uh, project to project, based on the genre of project. Um, But I would also say that I've mixed some documentaries, like scripted, Mm -hmm. and I've mixed some scripted in a verite, more documentary style. I've mixed... Um, I, I once had a one-hour episodic that actually had a multicam section and then it went single cam. That was interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, it was called um, Ryan Hansen Soft Crime on Television. It's a very interesting show. <laughs> but, um, Where can I find this? Uh, it's, it was on YouTube Red when they started their own like individual studio. Oh, so you cool. Can, yeah, you can try. it's actually really cool. Um, but yeah, the front and the back half are live studio audience multicam and then the middle is single cam and... Even different color treatment. Um, but yeah, there's different That's compression styles, different music styles. Um, I have done half-hour comedies, I've done sitcom y things. Um, I, I mix New Girl, I mix Single Parents, I mean uh, lovely, fun, fun shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but even Single Parents, we decided to take a more uh almost scripted drama, like drama approach versus a sitcom approach, whereas New Girl was a little bit more compressed and a little bit brighter. Uh, a little bit punchier, um, that, and that has to deal with the uh, compression settings and music level settings and background settings and depth of detail and backgrounds and foley, uh-huh. et cetera. It's all a slightly different style based on genre. Um, I like switching between some styles. Um, some people like perfecting one specific thing.
4: Uh-huh.
2: I, I find that like I, I'm actually a funnier comic mixer after I've done horror because like what makes something scary is missing the beat and surprising you. But what makes something funny is hitting the beat. So being present with what the beat is and, when to follow the convention and when to shake it up can sometimes be a good tool to have. So I like kind of. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, I like kind of mixing genres. Um, but yeah, there's definitely different mixing styles and different tool sets, 100%. And, yeah. and workflows, of course, like documentary being the most obvious in the sense that there's going to be no ADR. There might be narration. There's going to be absolutely no foley unless there's recreation. Um, there's right, yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or something subjective or something, yeah. you know, something artsy or subjective. Um, but yeah, I broke the
3: rule on that a couple yeah, years yeah, ago I, on I, something else. I did, I did a something for like the
2: Navy that was like that. Yeah, <laughs>
3: and we did a lot of foley. Yeah, we yeah, had to so. fill it out.
2: <laughs> yeah, so but but you know, for the most part, there's less ingredients to it mm-hmm. to a doc, uh, and it's more verite mixing. It's right. more it's more triage. Yeah it
3: also depends on how good the production sound was if you're trying to recreate
1: stuff (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> true, true words True
4: words.
1: <laughs> I love how passionately both of you talk about The creative and the theoretical aspects of sound Which there is a lot to consider Just from the tools that you're using during production How that sound comes to you And what you have to work with to manipulate it In the favor of whatever style you're going with And how closely does that look like When say you're working with like the director Are you guys actively talking to the director Through a lot of this process Is that something that you see a lot on production uh, I'll bring it up at
3: times if, mm-hmm. if, if I need to, but yeah. we usually talk about it in pre-production. But for for instance, um, we we I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Modern Family. We did a special episode, which is one of my favorites actually, um, that was shot kind of live and it was um, called Connection Lost. It was a bunch of FaceTime. Um, and it was before you had Zoom. So if you know the show, Claire was Mm -hmm. um, stuck at the airport and then she's FaceTime calls to Phil. They're looking for Haley. So we did it live though. And basically I had four different sets going on at the same time. So um, the, the, the question was when I, when I, when I read it was like, how should this sound? Well, it should sound open. It should sound like it's on a boom. It shouldn't be on wires. Mm hmm. So I did everything I could to not use the wires. We wired everybody as a as a backup, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I had booms, two booms on each set, except for with Claire. She was one boom, and then I had different um, comms so Claire could hear everybody else but not herself, mm-hmm. and that went on to the other other sets, mm-hmm. um, and they were able to quickly talk and banter and it really really worked that's for really the performances cool. yeah so so that's a good example of like answering that question how should this sound okay this is how we implement it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if if your producers were in my case were really on board mm-hmm. they said we'll give you whatever you need to pull this off so you know i had an eight person um sound department which is very unusual mm-hmm. is that rather large it's huge yeah usually it's a three person crew and during covid you have you know a fourth person because you know um there's two boom operators on set
1: and then a, a utility that's that's usually wiring somebody
3: mm-hmm.
1: but um in i my question for sound is the thought process when you're not going into a specific scenario like that where you have to consider the device is it typical the strategy is just to get the best sound possible to be able to then pass into post right and that's where maybe like more tweaks would happen or do you try to set it up like for say in camera if you're shooting on film you want to bake in the look is it best practice to try to give you the most amount of like bandwidth to be able to manipulate it in post um and then it's just obviously i know some of it's circumstantial yes but if it's a period piece
3: from from you know the 70s or 80s let's say Mm -hmm. um I'd want to go with the microphones that were used back then. Yeah, sure. Or, or if you know, on a basic level, if I have somebody in front of a podium,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, I don't necessarily want to use the wire the whole time. Sure. I want to give that track of the person in front of the, the, the podium, so I can hear that plosive, right? Right. If 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 you need to, I mean, it's it's a nice mm-hmm. texture, and that's how it should be. Right
2: and also on 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 dramas that are a little bit more atmospheric or sound effects driven, um, I find that one of the effective things that I do with the material that comes from production is I really uh, I, I don't want to make things sound super chesty or super close um, so for things like um, Project Blue Book or for all mankind or or Outlander or uh, for those kind of big dramas, big big dramatic Uh, pieces it's really really effective to um, have both the boom and the lav and use the wide natural space of the boom and then when you're in a more intimate environment and you're using that audio rack focus to really go in detail for an intimate moment to move closer in using mm-hmm. the of and pull that space out. You can't do that unless you have both of those things. You can't do that. Right. That, that is only utilized from having that material. And
3: more and more, the more over, the fa- over the last few, last yeah. few years, yep. you're actually getting it double cut for
2: that's you. That's true, that's true. <laughs> the, that wasn't um, always the case. Yeah, <laughs> Auto Align has changed my world, yeah. Um, and what is that? Um, it is a, um, well, I mean, it, it's a software that does a particular purpose, but many softwares do this purpose. I shouldn't endorse one particular. In fact, ABDX has a, a lovely tool within it as well. And um, but basically, it, it takes the boom and lav mic, which oftentimes um, there, you know, the production mixers are able to make a general calculation for an offset of uh, delay between the two, like that would cause a. But on a eight. moving
3: mic, it's going to change. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: So the, basically, the software allows you to kind of make that adjustment as it rolls. So it will take uh-huh. away that proximity movement and and help you get those in alignment. And as soon as you do that, all that kind of phasiness that you hear in a natural regular mix track goes away. Things become very crystal, very clear. Um, And then it's very easy to take a natural space. And I, I always put a little bit of room verb just because everything, when you listen, to an individual, Absolutely does. that you, there is space. You're not just listening from, well, it's not just my mouth to your ears. There's the space that it's going mm-hmm. you know the air that's going through the walls, et cetera. So I always add a little bit of that, but being able to uh, dramatically choose when to utilize a mic that encompasses that space and enhances it versus a mic that really enhances uh, an on-axis close proximity sound is is a dramatic tool.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of information there. Now, that's really great. And it seems like <laughs> to be able to have all of these different tools to be able to make the creative choices. I love the idea for like authenticity, like you were talking about at the podium, having the select mic, that's going to be what we want to have the audience be able to tap into because the audience, I mean, for me, sound from sound design to obviously score, that's some of the, like you were saying, that's the soul of the movie and people mm-hmm. feel that. And it's great to know, like, for those that are considering sound, there is a lot of creativity. Don't look at it as something, you know, and... I've always noticed that, but I feel like sound doesn't always get the spotlight that it does deserve in terms of like the creative level that you're able to do. Look, if it's yeah. good, nobody notices. That's yeah.
2: right. We're subconscious influence. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yes. that's a great way of saying that. Yeah.
1: Very subconscious. And the question that I have for you, Carol, mm-hmm. is what does that creative process look like? Are you with the director a lot or how does that look?
2: It really depends on the director. It really mm-hmm. depends on the filmmakers. Um, how do they like to roll? You mm-hmm. know, um, is is there an established? Am I picking something up that has an established style? Uh, do are they trying to do a time period, or or are they are they going after a particular sound and look, um, or are they creating something from nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I, I worked on this incredible show that I always plug because I just love 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 this writer. I fell in love with this writer by reading all of her books, and then I got on her show and. I had to fangirl on her for thirty seconds and then be like, "Okay, now business." She's um, it's, it's, it's really great, but um, it's a, a show called Made for Love on HBO Max, and mm-hmm. it, it's lovely. Um, but that was an environment that was kind of like a uh, the type of sci-fi that you can't tell whether it's happening right now or in the very near future, and so and it's a little irreverent and it's a little. Uh, it's surprising in many ways, it's funny, it's very quirky. The style was very hard, to put. even after reading all the books and feeling her style, it was very hard to pin down and it was something that had to be created. And so it was a very collaborative process and it was very experimental and it was so much fun. Um, meanwhile, um, things like Outlander, um, you want to embrace the style of the time period that they're in because the time period that that character is in is all about that story that creates mm-hmm. that that is narratively important. So that's really more about accuracy and about detail of environment. So okay. it depends. It depends on the project. And so sometimes they can say, okay, well clearly on Outlander you make 1700s happen, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) you know, but on Made for Love, um, we had to have some kind of preliminarily, preliminary conversations of this should feel like this, that should feel like this. And it got really fun, uh, especially towards the last season, we got really into pitch shifting and kind of personifying inanimate objects, um, because we wanted the technology to feel kind of ever present and watching like involved in what's actively That's happening really cool. which is kind of cool
3: did they give you any more time
2: you know i will say explore this like that you I, know I, what I, mean? I, will, I will say this um hmm. both made for love and outlander um i i wouldn't i i wouldn't say they were generous but they were very sufficient Good. Yeah, for what they were asking for, they were not ridiculous, and they were they were really, yeah, and they were collaborators. A lot of times, what we're fighting, right? That's key. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people want a lot, and they don't have a lot, and Mm -hmm. I. Get it again I, I wouldn't want to be the person who is managing multiple disciplines or crafts Right. Um, and i always find writers uh, and especially uh, writer directors and and writer producers as incredibly talented individuals because i consider myself a great elaborator but i have no impetus of concept i need to hear your concept to imagine off of it like sure. that that is what i do you know so to meet these people that can come up with nothing and manifested out of the ether. I feel them, I want to make their vision happen. There's nothing more frustrating than feeling their vision, knowing you can do it, knowing you're that person, wanting to make it happen, and then not having the resources to actually do it. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a continued that's honestly the most frustrating thing about my job. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a very hard conundrum to fix sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like And, I mean,
2: and, I, and it's got to be worse for them than me, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I'm only dealing with sound, you know? <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> so for the sound department, I kind of want to paint the picture. And we talked a little bit about this on our initial mm-hmm. call when we were talking through what we want to, like, discuss. I feel like not enough time is spent discussing what the sound department looks like as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the credits in the movie and there's all of these people listed. Sure. Now i would love to just like break that down to something that's easy to consume from production to post okay yeah if that's talk
2: about your team
3: sure so so uh you know i have two wonderful boom operators and and uh surgeon popovich and and uh richard geertz and um christina meyer has been our our, our third at least on, on reboot and um you know before that um i stayed with dan leip for many years before he retired but these these guys are have been doing it for a very long time. They're very very good boom operators, meaning they're putting they're figuring out how to mic a situation, dodge lights, remember a lot of dialogue, especially on Modern Family and 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 reboot. We're doing you know eight page scenes with mm-hmm. three cameras and, and the cameras moving, so they're having to you know jump over it or. or you know, boom through a tiny window, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a a lot of times it's, it's pretty spectacular to see them work. They're, they're very talented. And then the, um, you know, show creator or writer will come in and say, Oh, this is not working for us. So you're saying this, you're saying this, and you're saying this. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden the cues have all changed. So my entire team is is going through okay you're going to cover this line you're going to cover that and mm-hmm. i'll cover this on a wire and now christina you're going to have to come in and do 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 this line
4: mm-hmm.
3: so that's that that's the challenge of, of production um so
4: they're uh, nimble.
3: Bo- booming mm-hmm. is, yeah. is 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 um being able to uh you know be flexible change change quickly and 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 you know, get the mic in the right spot, mm-hmm. and not be in the frame, you know, because mm-hmm. then we have to go do it again. Right. Um, the utility is, is usually wiring the actors. So, you know, it's a big job. It's res- a lot of responsibility to, mm-hmm. to do that well, mm-hmm. get all the settings right, because actors don't like it when you go on take two and take three and take four, and you're you're mm-hmm. futzing with them. It, it pulls them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're forced to. You have to because you're not getting the scene. You're working with other departments because uh, w- wardrobe uh, is 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 scratchy. Mm-hmm. That that kind of thing, or you know, and Maggie, we had to get a. She had very cool costumes. They did a great job dressing the lead character mm-hmm. and we'd have to figure out early on um you know days before what would be the challenge of of that um that that dress or you know in in, in the case of uh, one episode she was going to prom so we had to get um the 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 wires sewn into um to certain outfits or certain mm-hmm. jackets and that really really helped and um MJ, our, our our third on that one, um, really did a good job.
2: Did she have St- to or or did costuming hook
3: costuming up? did yeah. it? But you know, facilitating it. Copy that. It's it's yeah. such a team effort. So that's kind of what it looks mm-hmm. like. I go to the meetings and and manage the department from 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 that side, and then um, make sure we have extra people as we need them. Yeah, and then you're the mixer, right? I'm the mixer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So so. I'm taking all of the mics that are going through my mixing board Which and going into the recorder.
2: He's leaving that out. That's a big thing. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, we're designing our,
1: mm-hmm. our, our our gear per per show, really. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and what is the? Do you have like a name of this product, this mixer? Oh, uh, is it proprietary?
3: No, no, no. It's a Yamaha one v Since mm-hmm. I got on Modern Family, because. Uh, prior to that, um, I was on a, a professional Sound Corp uh, M M8 mixer, which was mm-hmm. eight, eight channels, but mm-hmm. that wasn't enough to accommodate the needs of what Modern Family was, with a cast of ten, twelve people regularly, and then three booms.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so yeah, you know, I changed out recorders on that show, and and you know, and then. Certain episodes, you're like we did a dude ranch episode, mm-hmm. and specifically for that, I saw I needed faders. Not as many, but we were going to uh, we were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, at a at a dude ranch, so it was really hard to get around that place. Mm-hmm. So I built kind of a small mini mixer um, um, kit that I could, you know, ultimately take the um, um, the recorder the control surface the wires and so forth and actually walk it across a field if i needed to or up a mountain
1: that's really cool this is just like a random question because it popped in my mind and i'm pretty sure it's a mixer i used to love or still love but i know they don't make them anymore like aton makes all their film cameras but i know they have like the cantor the cantor is really great yeah So what is it? Looks like an instrument when I see it. Like I would just love to like know a little bit about it because every time I say I'm like, "What is that device?" and then I know it's a mixer, right? It's a mixer recorder. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, is it pretty
3: popular? It's especially in the last few years. I've seen Mm -hmm. quite a few guys change change over. Yeah. Ergonomically, I think it's it's Mm -hmm. it's a little funky, but yeah. I've dealt with tracks from it from, from post. Sure, sure. It wasn't wasn't my uh, mm-hmm. my pick for Modern Family just because I wasn't doing those those shows.
1: But a right. lot lot of guys are using it and they're great. Yeah, yeah I, I just saw it like in an advertisement and I was like, that's such a goofy looking piece of technology. <laughs> and I was just curious. But uh, yeah, for for production that sounds. And I know you said like one time you had eight people on your crew. What did that break out to be? Was it a lot of like boom ops? So, so
3: I had, what, seven boom operators, mm-hmm. and then I had a utility that was dealing with wiring and so busy forth. very utility, sounds like. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. But, but you know, the, the boom <laughs> operators as well mm-hmm. yeah. stepped up and, mm-hmm. and, and helped wire. But once, once that cast was wired, because everybody wore the same thing every time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it wasn't like you were swapping things out and trying to troubleshoot. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> Eric's wires this. And, and so forth. So um, we, we were on Shep's um, CMITs on, on, on Booms. Um, and in terms of um, our utility, um, oh, the IFB tech. So they were dealing with earwigs, which are, are small, look like hearing aids, um, but they're wireless. So they were, it's like a front house mixer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So, yep. so they were dealing with that all day long, yeah. and I was dealing with uh, the the getting the information mm-hmm. and being close to the director and the script supervisor. And you know, they had mics as well, so that I could pipe um, the script supervisor, writer, and and director of the episode um, on handhelds, switched switched handhelds, um, to any of the actors, so they can give them direction. Mm-hmm.
1: Because I mean, we're on a huge stage. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Very cool. And as you get this audio, obviously it all comes to post production. Yeah. So what does that look like?
2: Well, it, it goes through a, a, a process. Essentially, the, the editors generally, the picture editors will generally cut with a mixed track, which is why it's extremely important that, because a lot of times takes are picked from. Uh, As a result of uh, performance and audibility that is captured from the mix tracks, the mix track is very important, and that's another talent that you didn't quite mention. That mixers, that sound production mixers, they do a lot. Sound production mixers are fascinating. I take it for granted because I do it. I I, I, I do. I understand. Yes, (laughs) Um, but uh, so they're cutting with mix tracks. Um, I typically don't get those mix tracks. Um, I get a dialogue edit from a dialogue editor, um, where every pop, click, tick, hit, scrape. Etc. cetera, um, little frames of alts to get rid of an imperfection here, an imperfection there. Um, oftentimes now things are double cut so that you have a boom and a lob so you can make those uh, dramatic choices that I described mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, or make balance issues, a little bit of room, a little bit of chest, you know. get just right. Um, but uh, I get a, uh, an edited piece from all of that material which has gone from the picture editor to a sound assistant a sound editorial assistant who does an assembly so lines up all the individual mics with all the the cuts so instead of having that one mix track next to picture they've got all the lavs and all the booms and mm-hmm. all the, you know any plants any you know all down below um then the dialogue editor gets that they chop it up make it lovely Um, They hand that to me, Um, the sound supervisor, cues for anything that needs to be ADR'd, either for performance or request or ad or uh, production issues or what have you. Um, A lot of it's director request, a lot of it's just conditions, etc. So they'll go off and manage and schedule all of that and record that. So we've got an ADR mixer as well. So um, that material is then cut in, um, sometimes by the supervisor, sometimes by an ADR editor, sometimes by the dialogue editor. That comes in, um, and that is just, uh, I have a group as well they'll they'll cue for group which is um when you record a crowd scene uh typically the people that are in the crowd are not the ones actually making the noise um because that will give me no option whatsoever to turn down or up that noise uh based on the conversation that's being had so if we were doing this in a restaurant people would be moving around in silence around us giving you visuals and then later on they would record the audio with actors, and then I could control where that goes up or down. And then we record any specifics if you bump into somebody or if mm-hmm. somebody's gonna scream from the background, yeah, you know, whatever. We do all that. Um, and that gets constructed and built and delivered to me. Um, I get all the the music, which typically comes uh, with a mix track and then all the stems. That goes from the composer to a scoring mixer, uh, you know, and obviously performers, the scoring mixer, and then to a music editor. So that gets delivered. Um, all those people are just my side uh and and that's really the side that i spend most of the time on for instance this summer i worked on she-hulk um attorney at law ooh, boom see and things like that they would cut out um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um and uh in, in that particular uh a situation i mixed uh, you know we mixed I mix the odd episodes and my partner Mm -hmm. makes the even episodes. So so sometimes there's a different format. Sometimes you mix with a partner side by side, sometimes you mix in separate rooms. Um, Sometimes I end up doing effects and I'm alongside someone who's specializing in dialogue and music. But principally, I do dialogue and music. So right now, my team on my dub stage is myself for dialogue and music, taking in all of those elements from all those other people. And then I have my uh, sound effects partner who is taking in um, all the work of the sound designers, Mm -hmm. which may have gone out and gotten field records. Or record, or ask somebody to field record. That's another person. It's a big team. It's a big team, and they cut all the backgrounds. uh, They put in all those recordings, do all the processes, come up with concepts for the sound design, but giving enough leeway that the sound effects mixer though can incorporate it and make a montage with all the other elements for instance sound design may conflict with the pitch of the music or vice versa you know everybody sounds like no. the same moment yeah exactly <laughs> you gotta pick yeah you know? so it happens you know or there's a big line of dialogue through that so we can't use that 4k thing because that's just not going to happen and so <laughs> so um that person gets uh, backgrounds they get
4: All the cars. All the sounds,
2: all the cars, all those banks and banks and banks of things. And they also get um, Foley, which is also a Foley mixer and Foley artists and a Foley editor. And that comes in. So it's a very large crew of people that create this thing, Mm -hmm. not to mention um, my mix tech, who also keeps the four to five Pro Tools systems that are satellite synced up, the projector working, all the machines happening, any remote approval that needs to happen through Zoom and or third party uh, Clearview or Evercast or what have you. and The technological, the Oz behind the curtain would also be my mixed tech. Mm-hmm. So, big crew. Um, and how so, does yeah.
1: communication work to like mm-hmm keep all of that in line, if that makes sense. It's, it's
2: very key with the sound supervisor. Yeah. Um, the sound supervisor is kind of like the hub between the client before they hit the dub stage, um, communicating with all those separate parts, the Foley, the ADR, the sound effects, the dialogue, um, the group, all of that, getting it together, making sure all of those things are checked off. Uh, music is a separate department. Um, so usually on a dub stage, uh, on any given day, I might have a supervisor behind me who's there Either able to cut anything himself that didn't happen, and or get in touch with whoever needs to get in touch with to manifest what needs to happen. Um, myself, my mixing partner, um, my mix tech, who's making sure my room works, and then the um, the uh, music editor who is sending uh, my music use to me. So it's 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 an awesome. It's a it's a you know it's a, it's a boy band. You know. What Does I mean? the so, sound yeah. supervisor just start
1: yeah. in post, or are they in production as well?
2: It is a post position.
1: Yeah.
3: It's a yeah. post position, but I mean, you look at the film Dune, and yeah, that's true. Mark Mangini and from and, the beginning, and his his uh, his team started mm-hmm. from the get go, very get go, yeah. yeah. Which and which is nice, and yeah. you see the results.
2: Absolutely, a, a Wiley statement also has like <laughs> has historically had that type of relationship with filmmakers. The earlier on that you can talk to a filmmaker, uh, the better. Like a, the classic example being the one I gave earlier about you know you shoot choose a location for a visual. And then in your mind, you've envisioned this different sonic reality that we can't manifest. So if you, if we have the communication that that's the sonic reality that you're looking for, we can work from the very beginning to make sure that that happens for you and make sure you get all those elements. It's always better. It, it seems like it's more expensive involving people in, in the beginning, but it is way more expensive and less satisfying to try and make that happen after the fact. Um, because at that point you're dealing with you're battling physics and technology Mm -hmm. you know like that you know it's way easier to tell somebody no we can't do that but we can do this or we can compromise with that than it is dealing with i can't change physics for you i want to but i if i as soon as i work that out i'm gonna own this town you know so like, (laughs) (laughs) like you know what i mean like yeah so
1: yeah No, that's a really good breakdown. It really shows. I mean, just looking at both of your credits alone, and obviously you see credits when you're watching a TV show or a movie, Mm -hmm. it is incredible the army in sound alone and what it takes to just pull it off and each like discipline and sub discipline that you have and how you all have to work together. And ultimately, that's what forms a show or TV. And that's what we watch today. But it's incredible to like highlight all the individual roles. That are in this process, you know, it's very beautiful. A question that I have: What are uh, some of your favorite highlights in your career? Do you have anything that you really like reminisce or that really taught you? Could even be a challenge; it might not be a happy one, but something that really codified you both as filmmakers in your own respective disciplines. Ooh, really noodle on it, crickets. No,
2: (laughs) honestly, the it's not that there aren't any; it's that there's too many,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Yeah, there's a. There's a lot. What about on like a recent project? I know we both wanted to talk mm. about for All Mankind for you, and then Modern Family for you. Was there any like major takeaways from those uh, productions? That were like, okay, going forward, this is something that I'm going to use.
2: Yeah, I, I have one. I, I, yeah. So um, last summer, um, uh, the the project that I was working on, um, I was working with uh, uh, Pete Horner, who's an incredibly talented, and fantastic. Person and re-recording mixer is such a joy. Um, but um, we had to, you know, I mixed an episode and he mixed an episode and we basically put them up against each other and we were like, hmm, well, you know, they're, they're close, but, you know, uh, you know, he's a little dark and I'm a little bright, and both of our extremes are maybe a little too extreme. And so we basically had to uh, do what is very unusual um, and reveal our process to each other and decide how to lean in to make a cohesive and harmonious consistency and the result I love the result I really love the result I, I really think it's got a great sound and it's very even and it's beautiful and I I embrace every one of his episodes I love them so much and um and I love my episode so much and it was really a, a collaborative situation and what it taught me um is that when you're typically not working in a situation where you're parallel, you're working on the same project, but you have the same position, when you have a specific position, um, there is a tendency to be a little protective about how you make your secret sauce. And it reminded me that um, that there is absolutely no disadvantage in, in sharing how you do something. Uh, and I think actually Gary Bourgeois um, said this as well, he said, as soon as I have to worry about not showing people, he said this to me once many, many years ago, as soon as I ha- have to worry about not showing people my dialogue chain is the year that I need to stop mixing because that means I'm not evolving, I'm not changing it. And, and so it reminded me that, um, that there's, you don't need to be protective or concerned um, about how you do something. Um, because in fact your perspective and what you have built will always have takeaways for the other person and that person will always have takeaways for you. Mm -hmm. And so it it ended up being a situation where um, I, 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 I learned quite a bit and, um, and it was really nice to listen with his ears, and it was really nice to see through his ears for a second, and that was incredibly educational.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. really refreshing. I always love to great. hear that yeah. with filmmakers, that the, the willingness, because it is a very like, okay, you have your skill set, mm-hmm. and people are coming to you, but that is the point. Not everyone's gonna be able to do it like you, and people can try to emulate, but that's just not going to say that they're gonna be able to like do your job the way mm-hmm. that you do, or yourself. And to see filmmakers come together and collaborate that is the goal. And that's something that we always talk about here at Filmmakers Academy. It's right. You have mentors for mm-hmm. a reason. And your mentors might just be a peer in that moment anywhere along in your career. And to be able to talk about it and open up, go through your process, mm-hmm. that's the only way that you push yourself and challenge yourself to even think, is my process? Not correct isn't the word because that's subjective in a lot of ways. But it I mean, the way that I've been doing it for the last five years now looking at someone else well what can i learn how can i change yeah. maybe i haven't been considering something this is a very like pivotal moment to grow Absolutely. and elevate yourself in that moment
2: yeah and, and i find that the best artists too like pete mm-hmm. the best artists are, are very collaborative right. they, they know that they know that they never forget that
1: yeah that's yeah. very true and,
2: and it's it's beautiful yeah
1: what about yourself stephen is there a moment that just really just codified who you are today
2: who are you steve (laughs) the man who i couldn't figure out where he
1: grew up (laughs) Uh, Um, yeah there's just so many it's hard to pick one Uh, yeah there
2: there
3: there were wonderful moments on every show that i've done along the way and and you know i look back on you know modern family and all of those experiences and 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 so forth and um I'm just appreciative of and, and I'd, I'd look at the guys sometimes and say, yeah, this is unusual. I did it too. (laughs) Boom.
1: (laughs) I do it every episode. I'm surprised I haven't done it yet.
3: No, no. Mm -hmm. um, You know, this is a special show and I feel sorry for some of the, um, younger members that came onto the show and you know, we work eight to 10 hours Mm -hmm. at, 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 at best. Most of the time, yeah, I even less, forty-five hours a week. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a special show where everything kind of worked together, and I'd say they appreciate this because this is, we're probably not going to get this on on, on another gig. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we're pretty close to it on reboot, which was uh, w- w- which was great. But I I, I would say just to appreciate where you're at, mm-hmm. be, be present to it, and.
1: Um I don't know there there's so many great moments, yeah well, you put it best I mean the sense of camaraderie that you both show and showing that like team is an <laughs> essential part of being in sound department that goes really for any discipline whether in you're mm-hmm. in like a grip team, lighting team, your camera team production team it really comes down to surround yourself with the peers obviously there's Mm -hmm. going to be a lot of great memories and cherish when the moments are good because not every day is going to be amazing but that doesn't make the job any less special and I feel like you really hit the like head with that just outlining your team and with Modern Family it seemed like such a perfect like case study of what should be the case going Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. on a lot of productions having your producer care about all the disciplines having all the disciplines want to hang out with each other and be able to get the job done get it done in an affordable amount of time because they have the end of the day no one wants to feel exploited on a yeah. job everyone wants to love the craft that they came into at a young age and dreaming and to continue dreaming it seems like you're both still dreaming today oh yeah you know which is the best part
2: yeah yeah no mm-hmm. I'm, ex- I'm as excited today as i was yeah in the very beginning absolutely yeah it's, keep on it's, learning it's, yeah but you have to because the essence of what we do is bespoke uh-huh. Each story is a separate perspective and experience, not only for the viewer, but for the people who are creating that experience. So like in the example I, I gave you this summer, uh, something may need to be brighter or darker or, or more compressed or less compressed, like I gave you with the sitcom example versus the drama. or uh, Every item is to tell the story, to find uh, the, what is right for that narrative. It's an exploration. It's not an, It's not a checkbox.
3: Mm-hmm. you know I also would say that that um, as you approach each project um, or each scene there's multiple ways to do it and, yeah, and that's true. be open to that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, so so often you know we, we get a rigid uh, approach to something and it's like this is the only way we can do it no mm-hmm. you can be successful doing doing it this way or that way mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: In fact, probably most successful being able to do it in many ways.
3: Absolutely. I mean yeah. I'd have to approach each scene with like, okay, if if <laughs> we're lit out from this direction, I have to do it this way. And and if that doesn't work, we'll do it this way. Right. And you know what? When I heard it on the air, it sounded great. hmm
1: Well, do you both have any final advice for a filmmaker that is just starting out, that is considering sound? Is there anything that you would give them after all of your years of winning? listen listen um, be
3: open to new experiences take taking jobs mm-hmm. but also um, try and find balance and 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 don't overdo it because you'll burn yourself out.
2: That is true. It took me many years. I, I did that to myself where I would work so hard to be able to get the opportunity to contribute from my creative cup to an opportunity that by the time I got to that opportunity, there was only so much in my cup to contribute. And, and so yeah, to find ways to make sure that your cup is full, that mm-hmm. you have something to offer.
1: And that's actually something else I want to ask with how busy both of your lives are. What do you guys do for wellness just to keep up with yourselves? Do you have hobbies outside of like sound and just being a filmmaker that really like just keep you going?
2: He said hobby. (laughs) (laughs) Sound is a hobby. (laughs) 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 It is
3: the only hobby. (laughs) Um,
2: I like Audible. I'm obsessed. I love a story. Are you? Yeah. I like old movies. Yeah, and I love to go see art museums. I, I I am inspired by other people's art, whether it's Sonic or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, I love going to weird, funky. I'm I'm going to go home and try and convince my husband to go to, like, the Halloween, like, spookween thingamajig for the county. Cause, cool. Yeah, because, yeah.
3: Yeah, get out and have some
1: fun. I,
2: I like going to see performance art. I like going to see, yeah, just experience funky stuff. Yeah, L.A.'s full of it. Yeah. For yeah. sure. For shizzles. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um. I spend time with my family a lot. I mean I have two uh two two well one one's an adult now, two daughters, uh, one that's eighteen, one's at sixteen, but you know, I, I, I get a lot of joy um experiencing their their art with them. And and even though I'm colorblind I end up taking a lot of pictures. because mm-hmm. um, I find that um fun to look through the
1: lens. Yeah
3: as, as,
1: as well. Yeah. And there's nothing better than a photo, right? It's a really great memory. It he's an awesome dad too. Is.
2: Like his kids do dance and roller, like roller, roller derby, derby and track and field. Yeah, he's yeah. got he's got awesome kids. That's yeah, I've, tra- really great. I've traveled all
3: over the <laughs> over the states, and then uh, recently went mm-hmm. uh, thrifting through Nova Scotia with, with my younger daughter, who's really mm-hmm. into fashion and so forth. Yeah. it was fun.
1: That's really awesome. Yeah. Family (laughs) is great. There's nothing better than wholesome moments, right? I always chase a good wholesome moment, especially when living in Los Angeles. You got to have like something. I don't have any family out here, but I always look for a good, wholesome moment. And that's where friends and, you know, alternative family members come in. So that's really nice. I have to say
3: I cook a lot. Yeah. Cooking is
1: great.
2: Yeah, I do too. (laughs) (laughs) There's
1: just nothing better. I'm a massive foodie. That's therapy. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely. And the dog. Yeah.
2: yeah, I would say my cat and my dog are my hobby for
1: sure. Yeah,
2: that's actually legit.
1: <laughs> As we go on, the truth just comes out. I'm like, Asuka, come here. My dog just goes everywhere with me. I swear it's like my child. So yeah, yeah. it's really that's nice. good. Yeah. Well, Stephen and Carol, I really appreciate your time coming over here, talking about the discipline, really getting into it and painting the picture for our members. Is there any way for this, for them to keep up with you? Are you both on Instagram? Do you do anything like that?
3: I have a presence, but not 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 much on Instagram. Yeah, but I'm yeah. on Facebook,
1: and yeah. and I have a website, TiboSound.com. a
2: lot on Instagram.
1: Yeah, we'll give them a follow. Let's <laughs> check them out, and definitely check out CAS. C- See, yes. yeah, I said it right. CAS. Mm-hmm. I, it seems like you guys have a lot of great educational resources.
2: Yes. and if you're interested mm-hmm. in and in sound editorial, uh, also there's this uh, another organization, uh, Motion Picture Sound Editors, mm-hmm. which is also really great for that discipline as well. But if sound mixing is tickles your fancy. It has made such a difference in my world being a part of the CAS, it's really invaluable.
1: Is there a representative or someone to speak to directly at the CAS that you would that you would say? If you
2: write a CAS membership at CinemaAudioSociety.org, you will get the head of our membership committee and they will direct you to the appropriate person. And everyone on our board and uh, everyone who operates those committees is eager um, to bring in new members and to uh, communicate with, uh, new sound artists. So,
1: yeah, that is awesome. Well, everyone, this is another episode of finding the frame. It's been a pleasure getting to know the both of you and please, if you ever, ever have any recent projects you would love to promote or talk about, this is the platform that we would love to highlight that. So please, even if your friends in the sound world want a place to talk about their latest projects or even techniques or anything that's awesome to know, refer them to me and I'm happy to chat. So I will see you guys next time. How about that?
2: Excellent. Thank you. All right.
1: Yeah. Thank
0: you. (laughs) Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps, most notably the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities. Everything you need to master your craft. So download the app and this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating Us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.